KRXO FM and KRXO HD Oklahoma City, a product of Tyler Media, reaching over 1 million Oklahomans every week. Now, the Outdoor Hour, giving you the inside scoop on the great outdoors on 1077 The Franchise. As long as I can remember, I've been drawn to the outdoors. There's something primal in each of us that awakens when we step outside the bounds of modern society and back into the vast possibilities of the natural world. The more civilized our lives become, the louder our hearts cry for reconnection with our native ways. Failure is imminent, dangers drawing nigh, but approached with reverence and tact, the outdoors return wisdom and gain. In both the outdoors and in life, harvests are fleeting, but lessons and memories abound. With that in mind, we step forth boldly together in pursuit of ourselves outdoors. We are nothing more than tree stand troubadours. Welcome inside the outdoor hour. Taylor Maples, Joshua Wildman Stratton. What do you know, folks? And Todd Lisenby with us. Hello, hello. Glad to have you. Yeah, good to be here. Hey, it's going to be a good episode this week. We've got a lot of stuff to get through. All kinds um, of things. All kinds of things. You and I spent some time together last night. We did, and not in a weird way. I mean, it was a little weird. It was a little weird, but that was more because of the company. Uh, Full than draw us. film tour. Yeah, and uh, you know, you know, in in school, all the troublemakers sit in the back row. Yeah, that's one hundred percent what happened last night. We go into the theater. Hundred and fifty people in this theater. One forty two. <laughs> We set the over under at 150, so. and I took the under, so it's it's important for you to know that it was 142 people. And immediately, Josh beelines it up to the top row in a theater that didn't have air conditioning, mind you. So yeah, if you're toasty. one of those people who you go, man, I don't like going to movie theaters because they're too cold. Go to the AMC at Quail Springs <laughs> because they don't believe in AC there, and it is surface of the sun hot i think the guy that assigned the theaters for the week must volunteer with PETA because this bow hunting tour was on the surface of the sun yeah it was uh next level that is a sketchy button there you know i apologize we're in a little different studio today so you it's know. it's it you know some parts of it are nicer some parts of it are a little more finicky than others. I like the guitars. The on temperature's the wall great here. in here too. It the temperature's is, it's great. Really not good. hot. Yeah. Yes, not it's hot. nice. Uh, but anyways, yeah. So on that back row, who? I mean, we had uh, the us. who's who of deer hunters in the state. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. that's just because Craig Griffith was there. That's right. We had most of the uh, Okie bow hunter yep. crew. Yep. Uh, we had your boy Jace. Jace Brewer represented. Yep. Uh, his son. Yep. Jax. Um, Austin from our church came out. That was cool to see him. Yep. Bunch of people. You ran into some people you knew too. I did. Yeah. Well, Brad Myers was hanging about. Go check out his meat shop. Um, Whoa. <laughs> <it> Again, is... <laughs> <laughs> nothing nefarious there. It's just what it is. He yeah. sells meat. <laughs> yeah. Like, that's a real thing. Um, yeah, good to see him. Hadn't seen him in a long he time. Said that was such gusto, too, didn't it? <laughs> there was good some Lord. confidence here. As we were leaving last night, though, I made one request. That wasn't the name of the movie you went to see, <laughs> no. was it? Meat Shop? No. Okay. No. Just checking. There were eight, uh, fi eight films? Seven or eight oh, films. mighty. Yeah. Short Something films. Like different topics. It was cool. Some of them were definitely of higher production value than others. Um 
you know, the subject matter. I was trying to remember all of this. There was a bighorn sheep hunt. A billy goat. There was a goat. There were a couple of elk trips. Um, yeah, my ears are deer. still ringing. Yeah. From the elk movies. They turned that sucker up and ripped off the knob. They did, man. Those elk were screaming in our face. It was cool. I mean, it was a cool experience. You, you felt like they were about 10 feet away from you. That's the other thing. One of my takeaways is I know cameras can play some tricks on depth perception, um, but they kept saying, man, that was 10 yards. That was 10 yards. Throughout a variety of these films, I'm like, I don't feel like anybody in these films knows what 10 yards is. Yeah, I think collectively that is uh, what we like to call hunter and angler math. Yeah. Right? Uh, no, it was a two-foot-long fish. Sir, that's six inches. <laughs> it was ten yards, bud. That's a hundred, you know? I mean— Golf math is similar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, yeah, I missed a ten-footer, uh, but yeah. you missed a three-footer. Yeah. <laughs> it was not a ten-footer. Yeah. The very yeah. first or film— Or I sank a ten-footer. No, you sank a five-footer. Five. Yeah. The first film, though— this was unbelievable. The guy, a guy shot a moose 10 yards. Again, we'll use that metrics, but 10 yards in front of his tent. Like they're showing this shot and it kind of pans to the left. And all of a sudden it's like, what the, that's their camp. Like this moose basically walked through their camp. Yeah. You see I, the video the other night. I might have to show you guys if you haven't seen it of the two moose fighting outside in the park, at, like in the driveway. Yeah. Of that guy's yeah. house. And that they was, push up again. They like smash the that car. Was, that was some nature up. is metal stuff, yeah. wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. For real. Yeah. 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 I kept expecting someone to jump out of the tent. <laughs> like that's how I would have played that scene. Like. You know, shirts off club, jump out of the tent, scare the moose away, and ruin your buddy's hunt just for a joke. you could find that scene in the meat shop movie. <laughs> you probably could. You know what's not a surprise to me is that Josh would do something like that. Somebody goes to Alaska hunting moose, once-in-a-lifetime trips, and Josh is like, how can I screw this up but make it funny? That's very on brand for you. Listen, there's a lot of moose there. As as they didn't have to work very hard on that hunt. Let's keep it real. You just nah. hear the moose fall, and then you just hear zzz, the zipper come <laughs> from the tent, and the camera pan. Someone gets out with a cup of coffee. Yeah, cousin Eddie hat on. Exactly. Oh yeah, <laughs> morning, morning. Uh, the coolest thing about that film, though, was after the the two dudes killed mooses on like back meese meeses moose on back to back days. And then had to raft down the river, what, like 48 miles? 50 miles. Yeah. In inflatable rafts in In a monsoon. So the water level was high. Straight up rapids, bro. And these guys did not. With the moose carcass. With the moose carcass. Beautiful. Two two moose. Yeah. And they were in one. No. They each had one. They each had their own. Wow. So double your chance of flipping and, and awesome carnage. Unfortunately, I was rooting for carnage and I was let down. We were really sitting in the peanut gallery. Being. We were talking a lot of smack. Um, in that particular clip, no helmets, no life preservers, camouflage for starters. Like nothing even identify yourself if you were to fall out. Yeah. Um, you know. And their hunt's yeah. over. Like they're not, they're done. They're yeah. tagged out. They're just going to meet up with the, the plane. To try to get out of this place. They flew into the Brooks Range. Yep. And uh, I don't know what river that was, but anyways, yeah, you would have thought, I mean, dude, I would have been like, hey, I need extra life jackets to strap my meat to life jackets just in case I flip. Like, 
there was no precaution. That thing flips. Like, not only are they in a glacier river, but all their jazz is gone. Yeah. And here's the best part. To get the shot, the the guy who ran down the first rapid section, the other dude just stayed back in an eddy and filmed the whole thing. He had to have been by the end Ten of that yards. Run, yeah, <laughs> like a couple hundred yards away from his homie. If his homie would have flipped, not only could he not help him, but like he would have been like, "Well, I guess it's my turn." I always think that's the thing we forget on any of these things is especially the the less. Which to me, I don't know if you're the same way, but when I watch things like that, the almost the less production value, the better. Like I don't want it to be a crew of 15 people. I love when it's just two or three guys and they're doing all the things on their own. But you take for granted what it takes to film that type of stuff. I know you've seen, you guys probably both seen the show Survivor Man, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. When he's out there, and you'll see he'll he'll walk up a hill, set the camera up, walk past the camera, go back and get it just to get the shot. Yeah. You know, so I I always have a little bit more of an appreciation. It sounds like they may not have thought it through. I think I mean it, they that was a one camera, maybe two camera operation. There was nobody else. It was just these two guys. You never saw both of them on camera at the same time, except like back at camp, and it looked like literally it was a selfie shot. You know, um, Dan, one of my partners in the fly shop, he's the same way. Like he hates high production stuff. Um, he wants it gritty. He wants it raw. He wants it like just authentic to the moment where, you know, being somebody who went to school for it, I want to see it the other way, right? Mm-hmm. Like I want high production value. The best is when you can get the balance between the two Yeah, where it's someone who knows what they're doing that yeah. can give you or a couple people that can give you high production value, but also still keep it, you know, a small crew or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, you you know, ideal in my mind, if you can have two Basically, guys. Basically, I'm pitching you for the next Survivor man. Perfect. Okay, <laughs> I'm in. Um, starring Todd. We just call it Wild Man. Wild Man. Yeah. Look it up. It's legal. <laughs> I don't know what that means. Um, yeah. <laughs> It was cool though. So there were a couple of films that had really low production value, frankly, which yeah. on a YouTube channel, watching it on a computer screen on my phone, I don't mind as much. When it is wall to wall in a movie theater, the shakiness gets to me a little bit. Um, I get it from the people who put on the film. Like when I used to run the fly fishing film tour, it would you know you wanted to keep that balance and not make people feel like oh okay well if i don't have a 50 60 80 thousand dollar budget and 15 sponsors i've got no chance of my film making it right so you're looking for who's telling a good story and let's not worry about the production value if the story's there the hope is that that carries the weight and and you know uh, counteracts the lower production quality of the film so i appreciate their what seemed to be intentionality of of doing that and in today's world it's so much different right like when i jumped on the film tour in the early 2000s you didn't have thousands and thousands of content creators youtube wasn't what it is today and so there really was one place like at the heyday of the film tour we we would sell out shows believe it or not there would be our biggest show was 3500 people 3,500 people to come watch two and a half hours of fly fishing films. Good luck getting that today because they, it's can, accessible. Con- they can consume it daily, right? Yeah. Um, and 
back then, that was your only chance. Um, that you weren't going to, I mean, we sold DVDs, you know, like, uh, you could buy the film tour DVD back then. Um, and so it, it's a different world, but I appreciate their intentionality there, or, or at least I'm going to say it was intentional. Not that's just the best movies they could get. <laughs> no, I think there was some intent behind that. The guys at least that were there seemed knowledgeable in what they were doing and, your experience in this kind of a tour setting leads me to believe that there is a lot of thought in the product that they're putting out, and people seem to enjoy it. We saw a ton of J.D. Adams and company hats in the crowd. Yeah, that was super cool. Well represented. Yep. What's yep. going on over at the shop? Man, we got sales going on, into season sales. Um, Were you just, like, chucking out catalogs at the... At the show? Yeah. No, we, you know, I would have been like in Vegas on the strip where they're like hitting their hands all the time. Right. Just go, here you go. Just handing people. Man, I, I was there more representing uh, Mule Deer Foundation last night. We gave them some stuff to throw into the crowd. But yeah, it was great to see some J.D. Adams hats for sure. And guy, you know, it was cool. I said, hey, we'll, we'll have to make something that's more hunting centric. And uh, to one of the guys and he goes, oh, I'll probably just wear this one anyways. Uh, so it's cool to see that, you know, one, he he's rocking our local shop, but two, like he's not ditching that because it's hunting season. Like mm -hmm. that's his hat. He's going to rock it anyways. I don't know how good of an idea that is. Uh, does have a giant white patch on the front of it, but you know, uh, on that note, we learned from a film last night. Why don't we do this in the next segment? <laughs> hey, I want to ask you real quick. Yeah. Just speaking of JD Adams, is this your favorite time to fish coming up the fall? Uh, for me, yes. Okay. For sure. Um, only because it's about to be, uh, reds season right, on the right. coast. Right. And so that's big. I guess time the point is, I guess the point is like a lot of people, me as a kid included, just associate fishing with summertime, hot yeah. weather. And that's not the case. Yeah. We're going to do a jump off party. I think sometime in September, uh, for the Oklahoma trout season, because our trout season, unlike every else everywhere else in the world is just now starting so you know come september they'll start stocking uh the the blue and and uh, some of the other uh close to home fisheries and so it's a really good time if you're oklahoma and to you know be able to enjoy what uh, we have and and be a good time for trout trout fishing around here so you just mentioned a hat and it not being conducive to your hunting that wasn't the case in one of the films last night. It absolutely night. was not. Um, have you ever seen that before? I mean, it, you know, it... It, it was ridiculous. It, yeah, but it meets my theory. I mean... Yeah. Like, I love the old memes. Uh, you know, your grandpa in blue jeans and a red and uh, black plaid jacket killed more deer than you'll ever think of. Yeah, I think that was originally um, a Fred Bear quote. At least where it's credited yeah, I think to. So, so yeah. anyways, let's do this. Let's take a break. When we come back, we're going to tell a little bit more about what this ridiculous strategy, if you can call it strategy, was. Yeah. And, and hey, man, if you got kids, next segment, we're getting into a little bit of that bluey. There you go. Bluey. That's right. In the outdoor hour after this. Now back to the Outdoor Hour with your host, Taylor Maples, on 1077 The Franchise and the Franchise Mobile app. Welcome back inside the Outdoor Hour. 
Taylor Maples, Joshua Wildman, Stratton, and Todd Lizenby with you this week. Excited to be back with you. Excited that it is almost deer season here in Oklahoma. Last night we were at the Full Draw Film Tour and it felt like the official kickoff to deer season. Um, if you're like me and you've been out running around your hunting properties, whether they're private, leases, public, whatever, um, and you're trying to find a more efficient way to get around, check out Pedego OKC. I've been riding a Pedego e-bike for the last year and a half, and it has revolutionized the way that I'm able to interact on our properties uh, because I can get back further, go easier, take more stuff with me, haul stuff in a little bit of a trailer, but go silently. I took the Pedego with me fishing a couple of weeks ago, um, and I actually crept up on deer on this bike that had no idea I was coming, had no idea what I was once I got there. It's just such a different experience in walking in on your two feet. So go talk to Lance at Pedego OKC. They're on MacArthur Boulevard, just west of Lake Hefner. Mention the outdoor hour, and Lance will save you some money on your next purchase as well. I'm riding the Pedego Element. Highly recommend it. It's got big off-road tires, run-flat uh, tires. It's got front-end suspension, but it's a smaller size bike with an easy step-through frame. So when I'm wearing my camo and I've got my bow slung over my shoulder and all this, it's not a big, big, bulky bike, um, but it gives me enough of that off-road capability that I need. And the assist, being an e-bike, allows me to really control my own exertion level. So go talk to Lance at Pedego OKC, and he will hook you up. All right, so we talked about, uh, we set up for Bluey in the previous segment. Bluey made some appearances in two different films at the film festival last night. He did. We also talked about... Um, some funky headwear that I had never experienced. Yeah, that was different. So what we're talking about, one of these films, a guy drew a, uh, it was a goat tag. No, this was the... Bighorn. That's right. This was the Bighorn Sheep. Um, it's like it wasn't even there. 45 years this guy had been putting in. Yeah, never thought he'd pull one. Oregon, right? Yep. Off the Deschutes River. Yep. Beautiful area. Unbelievable. I was sitting next to Jax, uh, and he said, man, I didn't know Oregon looked like that. He should go to Oregon. Yeah. Really, really cool. Yeah. Um, I've, I've, I've had the opportunity to fish that uh, river a few times. So this guy has a sheep tag, and do you think he developed these himself? Or do you think he Absolutely not. Somewhere? No, he bought them. It's basically, like, think of a mascot head mixed with, like, a children's party hat, but it was like having a bighorn sheep head on top of his head so he could stand up in the tall grass in these hills and basically look like a kid, look like a little sheep. We got and a by kid, yeah, you mean... Not a, child. Yes. Yes. A young sheep. It was... uh it was something. Was this just a theory he was trying to prove, or um, no? I mean, I think this... it's a practice of some. It's like you know, guys who use like put fans in front of turkey fan tails in front of their uh, guns or, or guns. bows. It's you know, which should be not allowed, but more for the sense of it's just insanely dangerous. Um, and, you know, there's people who use antelope bodies and put their bows through an opening uh, when they're antelope ho hunting to get closer 
Um, I think the theory is it can't really tell the difference. I don't know for that to be true or not. It's got to help. I'm guessing he was successful. He was. He was successful. And it stared him down. Yeah, it definitely. I mean, it locked on. It puzzled the animal. Yeah. Um, And maybe that's it. Maybe it's just enough to give him some pause. We didn't realize he had a cameraman with him. We knew that. But we didn't realize until the very end of the film the cameraman had one, too. So they were rocking these. They looked ridiculous. They looked absolutely ridiculous. Completely ridiculous. Here's my thing. If you've waited 45 years to draw this tag, they said You're it was You're doing a, everything you can. Yeah, but if you know you're going to put a film together, I feel like I'd be looking myself in the mirror and saying, I want to fill this tag, but I don't know that I want to fill it that bad. I think he he was going to do everything he could to give him what he thought was his best advantage. And, you know, some I, I think we can all agree, like hunting or fishing, Walking in there with a little confidence goes a long way. You know, being confident that you can shoot however far you think that shot's going to be, um, being confident in your physical capabilities of being able to handle the terrain of whatever t- style hunt you're going on, you know, from the fishing side, you know, particularly saltwater, knowing you can accurately and consistently lay that 70 to 80 foot cast down, you know, all those things play a big part i think into being successful the mental part of being successful um in the wild and i think uh for him that made him feel more confident having grown up as an athlete this is one of my favorite parts of hunting is the mental game of it right like because you're dealing with so much failure and especially in games like baseball and softball where you're learning to deal with failure regularly Knowing that I'm going to go into the field and probably not even see anything today, but find little victories, right? There was a film that was called, like, Defining Your Own Success or something like that. Yeah, whatever the name was. Um, But just the concept of not allowing success to be defined by whether you harvest an animal or not. Yeah, the process, right? Yeah. The process has to be its own trophy. Um, I think elk hunters have done a really good job of that. Um, You know, if you can have an encounter with an elk within 30 yards that's a win whether you were able to you know pull a draw on it and release or not uh having that communication engagement calling it in it calling back to you getting it close like you know how many elk hunters have you heard who tell you a story where they weren't successful in a harvest but they tell you this unbelievable story and every step along the way of this engagement that they had. The guide in that film set it up at the beginning, and he said, man, the last three days has been the most unbelievable elk hunting I've ever experienced. And then they go on and not harvest anything in the film. Yeah, nowhere close. It was cool. Uh, What stood out to you? Was there a scene? Was there a clip? Was there a film, good or bad, that really just hung with you? Did you have a favorite film? No. No? No. Okay. All of them, for the most part, followed a very... This is me going to sound pessimistic, but like they all followed a general platform, right? Like The only thing that that film tour was missing that every single hunting or fishing film tour has is there wasn't a conservation film. 
but there's always some warm fuzzy and not to take away from it, mm-hmm. you know, like there's a story of a kid who um, had had Kali, who knows how many heart surgeries and ended up getting a heart transplant when he was 13 years old and him being able to go on an elk hunt. And, you know, that was an endearing story and it was a touching story, but I expected there to be some story along those lines in the tour. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, someone trying to get a world record expected that to be in the film tour. Um, and again, that would be if it was a fly fishing film tour or a hunting film tour. The So nothing really like jumped out to me. I wouldn't say that the approach of any of those films was out of the ordinary. Um, they were endearing stories. Um, they, I appreciated a higher focus in almost all the films on the human experience and less on the the take itself. But no, I mean, I wasn't wowed by any of them personally. I didn't think, oh man, I got to show this film to one of my buddies because this is this is awesome. I think that the uh, the elk hunting in the fog. It was towards the end of the evening. Mm-hmm. I think that was the best produced film, in my opinion. Good production value, good camera work. It was artistic. A lot of their editing was good. Um, I think in terms of like replicable hunts that I would be excited about, the moose hunt when they went rafting down the river, that was something I was like, I've never seen this. That's really a cool concept. I think the film itself for me left a little to be desired. Yeah. You know, it's the downside of... um hunting and fishing content at this point we're how many decades into telling hunting and fishing stories there's only so many ways you can tell it um and so i think from my perspective what i would have liked to see is more backstory on the land you know no surprise like my interest is always coming from a place of the land. I want to, I want to get to know that land. I want to know where it's coming, you know, it's history. I want to know it's, it's obstacles. Mm -hmm. Um, and And that ties in so well to the work you're doing with the mule deer foundation right now. Yeah. It's, it's evident that that's kind of your passion and that filter through which you're looking at all of this. Um, I felt a connection to the bluey story, um, almost all of the films, you know, the guys that are doing this have a scene where they're thanking their wives and families for allowing them to go pursue these dreams and these remote places. And, um, in one of the scenes, one of the guys was laying in his tent in Alaska and it was raining for 36 hours straight. And he was watching Bluey on his phone just to feel a little connectivity to home and to his children. Um, the one that stood out to me the most and made me laugh was and this was a cool film. I don't mean to make light of it, but a guy went elk hunting and took his kid in a backpack, very similar to what I've done with Wyatt a lot recently. Right. Um, and he actually harvested an elk with a bow with, I don't know, probably a seven-year-old, six or seven-year-old maybe in the backpack with him. But what made it funny to me is he was wearing $1,500 or more in Sitka gear, and his kid was wearing a bluey hoodie. No, his son was wearing a all white bluey fleece onesie. <laughs> in in a red backpack. In a red backpack. 
on the back of a guy that's wearing, I don't know, maybe a couple thousand dollars Probably. worth of designer camouflage. Yeah, it didn't make a lot of sense. But he got it done. He did. He looked ridiculous, though. He did. It was a cool story. I felt some connection to that one because um, that's kind of the experience I'm having in the outdoors right now is, can I take Wyatt to do this? How can I get out and do this and, and have my wife be okay with it? So so <laughs> here, here's my question. This isn't a knock, but you heard me last night when he was like, I hope one day my son can realize why I was doing this for him. I, I didn't buy that. Yeah. At all. Like. You took your son, in my opinion, again, don't know the guy, but like, because you had to, right? Like life, that that's life circumstances, whether it wasn't an opportunity otherwise, like that was the only way to be able to go, or, you know, your wife is busy and like the reality of, you know. You've got a two week window with this tag. Right. Yeah. But, you know, it seemed a little contrived to me, personally. It felt like they said, oh, I, we, we got this idea for a film. Let's see if we can get some sponsors and go make it. You know. Did for, you feel misled as a viewer? Is that kind of what you're getting to? I, I just don't think he was being honest. Yeah. I think the reality is, like, we say things as parents, and we say, oh, we're doing it for them. No, I think most of the time when our kids are little, we're doing things for ourselves. We're doing it hoping that there's going to be some benefit of doing it, right? I'm taking my kid now hoping that my kid will be into it so that I have a buddy to hunt and fish with when they get older. It is a very selfish thing. And we're dragging our children along with us. His kid looked cold, for the record. And so, like, you know, I don't know. That's just my thought. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But let's call it what it is. Sure. Right? Like, I expose my kids to the outdoors because I'm hoping my kids will be into the outdoors and I can do the outdoors with them. Do I believe there's benefits of them being involved in the outdoors? Of course. Do I think it's my responsibility as an outdoorsman to educate and create opportunities for my children to explore those things and have similar experiences that I did? Yes. But ultimately, it's still for a selfish reason of, I want them to be my hunting and fishing buddy. Would that have changed the film for you if they would have come out and just honestly said, hey, I want to go film an elk video, and the only way I can do it is if I drag my son along? No, I would have been like, get it. Okay. Good for you. Heck yeah, figure it out. What about just from the standpoint of, yes, I understand what you're saying, and there is a lot of selfish motivation in that. The same reason anyone takes their kid to a football game or whatever. 100%. But what about, especially when it comes to the outdoors, what about also teaching your kids to respect the land, to respect the things that allow them to live the life that they live? So. There is a little bit of that involved, I, right? I, oh, yeah, for sure. And I think that this guy literally said, I hope my son understands this, basically the sacrifices I'm making to take him. Yeah, I see where you're coming from. You know from. what I'm saying? First off, yeah, the kid was old enough to walk, yeah. okay? He walked out. 
Yeah. It was the only time he seemed to walk the whole time. And like Probably they was ready to go. Yeah. And they they dropped a camera so that they could walk past it, him and his wife holding hands with him carrying the kit. You know what I'm saying? To mm-hmm. like just this like really staged, unauthentic jazz. Like no one is walking out of the woods carrying a kid, making sure they're holding their wife's hands. And if you are like you're a jerk because you make the rest of us look really bad. Okay. I didn't know we had old Roger Ebert over here. Just, you didn't? No. no he just uh, he's a film critic. Yeah. Oh yeah, it's not cool. <laughs> I I gave I gave a disclaimer to yeah. before it started. I said, listen, there's going to be a lot of judgment coming out of my mouth. Um, but so that's all. But my point is really like let's don't exaggerate things for the sake of trying to make a film cool. Yeah. It's a beautiful experience in its reality, whatever its reality is. Mm-hmm. But like, tell the story authentically. Yeah, like it would have been way cooler to me if you would have come out and said, you know, man, I, I don't even know if my kid likes this. But I feel like it's my obligation to expose him to these things at an early age. And though it's hard and it's going to be hard for him and golly I, there's going to be moments where I'm going to hate the fact that I'm dragging this kid around on my back for 6 7 8 hours a day on this hunt for multiple days in a row that would have been to me a little more authentic and would have resonated more with me than just like glorifying the whole thing i think in general we do hunters and anglers we have this tendency to um want to romanticize every aspect of our outdoor pursuits. And I don't think that that's real. I mean, I've been on plenty of fishing trips and plenty of hunting trips where I have been like, right now, this sucks. Yeah. <laughs> like, and I appreciated that elk guide, you know, in the film you were talking about earlier, he hints at that at the end. Like this was one of his favorite elk trips ever. And there were times where it was absolutely miserable. Yeah. And he admits that yep. like, there was parts of this that just straight up sucked. Well, and that's the thing when you're watching these films, fishing films, hunting films, they take one of these films was what was it, a 13 day stent? They were in the stand for 13 straight days. Think about how many hours of footage they have. And they compress this into like an 18 minute video. So it seems like it's just bull charging in after bull charging in after screeching bugle. But there's a lot of really boring downtime glassing and just sitting there trying to not go insane while you're doing this. Are you talking about the couple on day eight? No, I'm talking about the guy that was chasing that one massive bull from a tree stand. Oh, yeah. And then ultimately got down. And and they didn't say this, but I'm like, he got tired of sitting in a tree stand. He sat in a tree stand for 10 straight days. Yeah. And then got down and went and he ended up killing a different bull because he was tired of waiting on the one. Right. You know, Um, it's hard. Yeah, it's not all rainbows and sunshine. Let's get in a break. When we come back, um, I've got something for you guys. I don't believe I got believe something for him. you guys, too. Mm. Okay. We'll get to those Question, surprises. Would, how's this for a tease? You guys want something for free? You want to give away some free stuff? I'm always down. Yeah, we like giving yeah. away stuff. I got something for you on that on the other side. All right. Not necessarily us, but someone out there can that's listening can get some free stuff maybe. There you go. All I right. like it. We'll do that when we come back to the Outdoor Hour.
Now back to the Outdoor Hour with your host, Taylor Maples, on 1077 The Franchise and the Franchise Mobile app. Welcome back inside the Outdoor Hour final segment this week. Taylor Maples, Joshua Wildman Stratton, and Todd Lisenby with you. It's getting to be that time. It's almost hunting season. I finally got my uh, stands put where I want, my blinds and hides situated. Um, you know what the nicest thing is about this oaky hide that I've been hunting out of is I don't have to go worry about it. I don't have to go clean out spider webs, make sure that there's not mice or anything that have found their way into it. This thing is like watertight, insect tight, scent tight, all of that. No sound coming out of this thing. If you're in the market for a new hunting hide, check out Oaky Hides. They're made right here in Oklahoma City by Oklahomans. You can find them online at okiehides.com or social media is at Oaky Hides. Um, these things are the most overbuilt, overthought of, over manufactured, over everything blinds that you can ever think of. Um, if you've never seen one, you've never been in one, go check them out. They are absolutely a game changer. And I have loved getting a hunt out of mine. I'm excited to have it on a new property this year and get to bring my dad out to see some new terrain. Um, you know, it's got a ladder. Uh, it's more like a staircase, really, that goes up rather than a ladder. Um, so my dad can get up in it a lot easier than he could into a tree stand. It's got a big platform, marine-grade carpeting inside. The windows have blackout curtains, and they open really smoothly. There's no noise, anything like that. So check out okiehides.com if you are in the market for a new hunting hide. Todd, you teased us. You got a giveaway of some kind. Well, not really a giveaway. I, I did see this story, though, that I thought was interesting. Um a Vietnam veteran in Throop, Pennsylvania, okay. is sending letters to all 50 governors in hopes that disabled veterans can have lifetime hunting and fishing licenses in every state. That's cool. Um, he talked about how he's a 75-year-old Vietnam vet. He said that he finds a lot of his joy in hunting and fishing, especially in fishing, and that he uh, he currently fishes with a lot of other amputees one guy that's a triple amputee that's like his best buddy fishing they went across state lines in pennsylvania to new york had to pay 70 bucks yeah for a fishing license and he's like basically his thought is there's not a lot we can do as disabled vets but it's a place where we can find some peace and solace so why not offer free lifetime fishing licenses for those people in all 50 states i don't necessarily think it's a bad idea i don't know what the cost looks like I was just curious what you guys thought about that. I think of face value, it's an awesome idea. I'm all for doing as much as we can for those guys. Um, I don't know, Josh, you may be able to speak into this a little bit more, about what kind of a financial impact that would have on the hunting and fishing uh, funding in general. I also um, know like, when you get a fishing license, part of getting a fishing license is so you understand what the rules are. Yeah, so you they know would still I mean? need to get a fishing license. I think you could do one severely discounted. So, you know, for federal kickback uh, on licenses, it's not directly tied to, like, the cost of the license. It's the number of licenses that you are issu issuing, right? So, like, for instance, the compact between the Cherokees and the Choctaws in the state of Oklahoma that was voided um, last year for hunting and fishing licenses, the big value for that 
those licenses were sold to those tribes at a discounted rate. It was a modified license. Um, but it counted towards the total number of licenses that the state got. And so it represented like an astronomical amount of money um, over the seven years that it was in place, or I think, I believe it was seven years. I'm probably misquoted there. That seems a little long. Um, but I want to say it was like something like $50 million uh, in federal funding coming back to the wildlife department. So, you know, let's say that they were a penny. Doesn't matter, you know, it doesn't matter what we charge them for. Free would probably be a little weird. But yeah, I mean, I think if you if you fought for this country, if you if you defended our right uh, to be hunters and anglers, and the, you defended the land that that we are uh, recreating on, there should be some benefit for that long term for the sacrifices you made, particularly those, um, really any of them. You know, I mean, golly, I, I don't I don't know a, a serviceman, whether that be a first responder or military, who. Uh, doesn't carry on a daily basis the burden of their experiences, right? Whether that's mentally, uh, emotionally, or physically. So, you know, I, I think we all understand the short and long-term benefits of veterans getting outdoors. There's plenty of data to suggest and show the healing qualities of those experiences. Um, you know, real recovery for cancer patients is another fine example of uh, the benefits of getting these people outdoors and uh, how that helps their mental state of mind. So if we can figure out a way to uh, get them a discounted, uh, severely discounted, almost free license, man, uh, I think that would be outstanding. I think lifetime is a little sketchy. Um, I'm not a fan of lifetime licenses in general. I, I think it's a um, short-sighted view of how do we get uh, a lump sum of money into a wildlife department quickly. And then now you don't get them anymore. And none of these lifetime licenses really represent uh, the amount of money if they were paying annually that they would be getting. You you think, uh, you know, you buy a lifetime license for your kid when they're 12 and they keep hunting into their 80s. Uh, you add inflation to Lost all of that. a lot of money. Yeah. yeah. The, you know, the, the, the wildlife departments are losing a lot. So, you know, even us at MDF, you know, and I don't love the fact that we have a lifetime mission, you know, it's great that people want to make that lifetime commitment, but we're really, it's a, it's a lost leader for us. Um, sure. So yeah, I think I'll, it's a great idea though. I'll just say real quick, Taylor, I know it's interesting. Obviously we're on a sports station and part of it is because there is a lot of overlap in the camaraderie in playing sports and the camaraderie. Being in the outdoors, there's a lot of overlap with our military members as well. 100%. It's whatever you can do to find that community and common ground with people. And then, okay, so you found these people. What are you going to go do? How are you going to share experiences? And for a lot of us, you know, it is going to sporting events and it is doing those things. But it's also the outdoors. And it's, you know, whether it's people that you meet from work that you find those common grounds with or people that have served similarly or have been through similar experiences and traumas and medical treatments or whatever these things are. But to go experience, you know, from my perspective, to go experience God's creation and share that with other people um, is what it's all about. So we also like sharing food with other people too. Yeah, that's a good thing, particularly like in hunting and fishing. Yeah, a big part of for me, a big part of that experience is the post experience gathering. Yeah. Right, it's uh, sharing that harvest with my friends and family. 
Um, Even if it happens like a year after someone promised you a year and a half, maybe. But but sometimes you get to have a special moment um, and and uh, that person gets to relive for the one millionth time a hunt they went on. And the rest of us get to probably be let down because it was so built up for so long. But we'll find out. Go ahead, Taylor. What do you got? I don't even want to tell a story. (laughs) (laughs) Todd, I brought you finally some bear cracklings. Taylor, if you don't know Shot a Bear, you can check out that story. Any episodes 10 through about 80 (laughs) of Of the Outdoor outdoor Hour. Yeah. Yeah. You finally brought some bear cracklings, which right now have just been given as dog treats. Yeah. That's all they've been done. Can I get a quick whiff? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it smells like cracklings. So right. what this is it's is not I've what taken, I expect. I expected, it's not. It's not terrible. It's a little clean. I expected some bigger. Yeah. yeah. In size. So this is bear fat that I've rendered down. Um, I ended up with about eight pints of bear grease, uh, and that's only half the fat. I've still got the other half in a freezer at my house, and I ended up with two of these mason jars of cracklins. So when I did this project, what I decided to do is I ground the fat first. I cubed it and then put it through my food grinder so that I would have smaller pieces. The research I had done said if you grind it first, you'll get more fat rendered and have less waste in the terms of cracklins. That makes sense. So that's the way I went because I was less interested in the cracklins, more interested in the the grease, right? Um, And so what I've been doing— What do you like to use that grease for? Everything. Um, and he means everything, <laughs> folks. Seriously, like we use this as a cooking grease in place of oil, moisturizer, um, shine. I have literally uh, shined my belts and cowboy boots with leather it. conditioner. It is unbelievable. Like people joke all the time with waterproofer, me. waterproofer. Um, you told me you had a corn the other day on your foot, and you put a little bear grease on it. <laughs> no? one point, it's, like, no. it's like Windex, <laughs> yeah. but for rednecks. Right. At yeah. one point, people thought it would help regenerate hair growth. Like, historically, that was believed. You can look at um, at you and know that didn't work. Mm-hmm. Well, I actually haven't tried that. Well, maybe you should. Anyways, um, it put about 10 pounds on me in a year, so that's one thing. Uh, but what I've been doing with these cracklins is... Rolling little peanut butter balls, rolling them through the cracklins, and then putting them in the freezer for my dog. He thinks these are like the best thing on earth. I told you guys that several months ago. Still and, don't have any. And you said, well, I think I want some of those myself. So they're no, not I'll frozen, but I've one. got some peanut butter. I've got some cracklins. You'll try talks. one, right, Josh? I'll just hand it to you. Okay. Yeah, it seems like a messy situation. I think but... the trick is you get the glob on the fork. It's kind of the way I had it dreamed up. And then you do a little roll around. Little roll around. You dance around in the. It, you know, it you looks. Go, oh God. Um, you can do it, it. It looks like um, unprocessed uh, br- uh, sugar, doesn't it? It does look like brown sugar a little bit. Yeah, they're kind of like bacon bits, but they're a brown sugar color. All right, you got your little. I'm getting there. He's going heavy on the cracklings. I mean, if I'm doing this, we're going. All right. Cheers. Cheers to uh, an experience 18 months in the wait. Right, exactly. I mean, not a lot of flavor, honestly. Nope. That's good texture, though. 
I went too deep in the peanut butter. Mm, did you? I think so. I think I might have too. It's light, right? Like the flavor itself. Bad. Here, we'll just go straight on the finger. Yeah. Can I have that yeah. mason jar there? Dive there we in. Go. We'll do this. Yeah. I mean, that's I'm pretty sure you neutral. I'm love it on the board here in the production room. Yeah, that's a pretty neutral flavor. Mm-hmm. And it's oh, great. There, there it is. A little on the back end there. Yeah. It's great for cooking and doing other things because it is such a clean flavor. You get that berryness at the very end there. Yeah. If you just eat it raw. A little gamey at no. the end. I wouldn't call it gamey, but. Yeah. Natural. It's not a pork rind. It's not. Yeah. It's not <laughs> uh, processed. No. It's good, though. It's good. Yeah. You know what I would do with that, honestly? I'd put it on salads, like just for a little sure. crunch. Like you know what I think would be interesting? Almost. It's almost got a little quinoa texture. A little mix of that with a little uh, salt on a uh, chocolate chip cookie. Mm. Ooh. And maybe it's just because I'm thinking about peanut butter, but it, it seems like it would be a peanut butter accompaniment, accoutrement. Yeah, solid. There you go. Well, I wasn't let down. Um, thanks for building it up. Yeah. The greatest buildup of all time. How did it live up to Next the Next week he brings the ribs, I guess. There you go. No, those are all gone. You know it. <laughs> well, this has been the Outdoor Hour, guys. Thanks for listening with us, as always. Taylor Maples, Joshua Wildman Stratton, Todd Lizenby. Uh, if you've got a story to tell, maybe some bear cracklings to share or anything like that, hit us up on social media. We'd love to have you on the show. You can find the show on Twitter, TikTok, and Instagram at outdoor underscore hour. I am at T underscore maples. Josh is found at against underscore current. And Todd is at Todd on franchise on just about everything. Next week, you want to, you definitely want to tune in. Got the announcement of a handful of really cool uh, events going down in Oklahoma and in the surrounding area um, for September that you guys do not want to miss. All right, next week we'll go through some events. Thanks for joining us. Hit us up on social media. Give us a follow. Let us know you're enjoying the show and where from. Uh, we'll see you next week. Until then, go boldly. We'll see you outdoors.